My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. You're wicked smart. I know that because you listen to weird work. Smarty bands like you are always learning, hustling, and staying on the cutting edge. If you want to take your business game to the next level, I got to tell you about HubSpot Academy. HubSpot Academy offers entire courses, along with shorter individual lessons on everything, like blogging, user experience, inbound marketing, sales, and even Facebook marketing. Get your free training at HubSpot.com slash weird. That's HubSpot.com slash weird. HubSpot.net, fake out, HubSpot.com slash weird. All right, you crazy kids, let's get to the show. Well, that was perfect. On to the next one. If you've wanted yet feared to do work that is weird, this is the show you just need to hear. Today's episode is about something we all deal with every day. It's in our homes, our offices, restaurants, coffee shops, and pretty much everywhere there are humans. Trash, garbage, junk, whatever you call it, today's guest, Martin Gregory, takes what we throw away and turns it into a business. Martin scours the streets of Montreal for junk and documents it all on his website, Things I Find in the Garbage. Because what's one person's trash is this man's treasure. I'm your host, Sam Balter, and this is Weird Work. Now let's listen to them speak about their jobs, which are quite unique. Weird Work. I know a term that's pretty common here in the U.S. is dumpster diving. And I'm just wondering, like, how do you feel about that term? And do you think it describes what you do? Like for me, like I'm not picking through dumpsters the vast majority of time. For what I do, I like the term garbage picking. If you want to be a little funny, you could say like curb shopping or something. <laughs> um, like, I, so like I, curb, I like curb shopping a lot. Curb shopping is good, yeah. It is a... <laughs> But I, yeah, I don't really consider myself a dumpster diver because uh, I don't really look through dumpsters. Once in a while, I mean, once in a while, maybe I'll look for food or something, but that's not really my lifestyle. What are some of the best spots to find garbage treasures? Oh, that's got to be, as a general answer, rich people's houses <laughs> or, or in rich neighborhoods. Okay. Like, uh, like in Montreal, Westmount is a pretty good spot. Anyone lives there at least has at least a million dollars, and they tend to throw at the best stuff, obviously. Yeah. So what what is a good time of the day to go looking for things? Is it better on daytime or nighttime? I do a little bit of both. 
uh, some neighborhoods, they don't really put out their trash at night. So you have to go in the morning. That tends to be in rich neighborhoods. Sometimes, uh, yeah, I, I go at night just to, uh, it's nice to be able to avoid people sometimes because <laughs> uh, people do get uh, annoyed at people going through their trash. Have you ever had anybody uh, like yell at you for going through their trash? Oh, yeah, it happens uh, <laughs> semi-regularly. <laughs> some people are uh, relatively nice about it and some people are fairly aggressive. <laughs> yeah, so you've been, you've been scared off a few times maybe? Oh, yeah. Well, if people tell me to get out of their garbage, I, I generally cooperate. I don't really want to cause a scene. And it's not really worth it most of the time. And are you going on most of these uh, excursions by yourself or do you have a partner? I try to. I like to take people sometimes, but uh, other times I like to go by myself and kind of helps clear the head. It's like a meditative experience for me as well, which is nice. And then I would say like a lot of what you're doing seems to like you need to be able to identify these items as either having value or not having value that you could potentially resell. Are there things that you're kind of a specialist in, you know, like jewelry, comic books or anything along those lines? I know the mid-century modern. I know the... uh whatever teacups i know teacups now because i found a bunch (laughs) (laughs) teacups are a good one like i found boxes and boxes of teacups years ago that someone just put out on the curb which i think made me around 2500 bucks damn done (laughs) yeah yeah that's a that's a pretty huge find yeah i mean you got to put a work into selling this stuff but you you're going out you're driving around you're collecting items in your car like how and where do you sell them uh, well, most of my business is through eBay. Okay. That's the best way to maximize your uh, profit for a certain trinket or whatever most of the time. A lot of stuff goes into the yard sale pile. About 95% of my stuff just, I saw at a yard sale. Do you have like an ongoing yard sale? In the summer, I try to do one like every uh, few weeks or so. I have a few different spots. I like to do yard sales so I don't anger any of my neighbors <laughs> with a constant uh, <laughs> crap. Constant yard sales going on outside their house. Yeah, I can see how that would be irritating. <laughs> I try to, I try to move around, and uh, and I guess I also make a decent amount of money from the gold, uh, silver scrap. When I find enough earrings or uh, bracelets or whatever, I bring it to the, my jeweler and uh, get it melted down for a decent amount of cash. I think I made about three or four grand off gold and silver last year. Just like melted down gold and silver. Yeah, that's why I love gold so much, because it doesn't really require much uh, work to get money for. Like, what kind of work do you have to do to sell something on eBay? Oh, eBay, you got to take some good pictures. I have a light box, which makes that kind of easy. You got to describe the item. Researching prices is probably the most important part. Like, yeah. I don't do the auctions. I'm a, I'm a set price kind of guy. Why, why no auctions? Most of the time, they end up selling for below market value. Yeah. Unless you have like something that people are like OMG about it. (laughs) Sometimes I use the option just to get stuff out of the house, though. (laughs) And then I'm just wondering, does eBay take a cut of your sales? Oh, yeah. They take around, I think, 7 8%. And then PayPal takes an extra 2 or whatever, I don't know, 4 it adds up to around 11 or 12, depending on what you're selling. Is it better to sell like kind of low-cost items on eBay, high-cost items? Is there any sort of difference of what types of items sell well on eBay? I don't really bother with anything worth less than 20 bucks on eBay. Hmm. Just because uh, it, it is like I have so many things I could list for 20 bucks, But if I 
lifted them all, I'd go insane. <laughs> so I, so I kind of have to pick my spots. eBay is good because you can access whatever a billion buyers by listing it on eBay. So, I mean, you can get uh, really good money for stuff that you wouldn't be able to get good money for otherwise. So I get yard sales. Like you would be offering you a fraction of what it's worth. So it's necessary. It's necessary. <laughs> at this point, you've probably become pretty good at selling stuff on eBay. Is there any tips you would offer people who might be trying to sell things on eBay? Get some good photos. Like <laughs> I, I learned all this the hard way. Like I was, I used to be a horrible photographer. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And also learning how to research items. Like it took me years and years to really figure out how, I mean, it's super easy, but. Like, let's say I just get a teacup, you know, like I get an arbitrary teacup. Like (laughs) how do I research that to know if that's a teacup that's worth something or not? For teacups, yeah, it's all about the brand. Like most aren't really worth that much, but it's like Paragon is one of the nicest brands. It's like made for the, the British royalty or whatever. It's their official China company or something. And Ainsley is also a good brand. And it depends on the pattern a lot. So just go on eBay, I'd say. look at the. You have to look at completed listings because people, the active listings, people just ask for crazy amounts of money sometimes. So it's not really a realistic look at what it's worth. Yeah. So type in any relevant information, see what pops up, see what's sold. So that's So you're just looking for like what actually sold and for how much. Like anyone can ask anything for anything on eBay, which is the beauty of it. But uh, but it's, <laughs> it kind of can make you think something's more valuable than it is. And how much money are you kind of actually making on average from this? Well, last year I made, uh, I think I net, I still have to do my taxes, but I netted about 25000 Canadian. Oh, nice. Which is above... Uh, the poverty line (laughs) it's more it's more than i would have made working at mcdonald's i'm not rich but yeah i also get to be my own boss and all that so that's good so i want to talk to you about your website and your blog can you tell people like what is the name of your website the name of the website is uh things i find in the garbage (laughs) very literal title and And then then what's the website address it's at garbagefinds.com Nice. And so like, why, why did you start a blog about stuff you find in the garbage? Uh, it was actually my friend's idea. I think I was having a sort of early life crisis at age uh, 23 <laughs> or something and uh, didn't know what the hell to do with myself. This is your <laughs> bohemian phase? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of finished school and I realized I didn't really want to go to school anymore. And I didn't really want to work any... Like, I didn't really know what I was going to do, especially like I've had a, I've dealt with a lot of social anxiety in my life. Yeah. So I don't know, working at some uh, boring or like getting a job in insurance or something just sounded like a personal <laughs> hell. <laughs> just like, just like you were not particularly excited about like coming to an office, punching into the clock and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I guess that was the point where I realized that uh, adulthood was finally here and I didn't know what to do but uh yeah my friend suggested I because I was at that point I was just walking around on the regular trying to find garbage and she suggested I try writing a blog about it I'm like all right that's a good idea and I started that day (laughs) how long have you been working on the blog for Uh, I think it's about six years now 
is there a goal to the blog or are you just doing it as a way to kind of share some of these stories? Like, what are you hoping comes out of the blog? Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I'm not, I hope to share, I hope to encourage people to do what I do. It might help a lot of people find a job or something that uh, they can do even part-time or whatever, full-time too. It's good for the environment. It's good for uh, preserving cool vintage crap (laughs) you know i I hope to encourage other people to do it and uh, i do like sharing what i find yeah it seems like you've built like a pretty cool community of people who follow your website who follow your instagram as well do you do you enjoy the write-ups of the blog like do you enjoy managing and writing for the blog uh yeah I, i like writing the blog I like pretty much every aspect of what I do. It's just uh, once in a while, it's, uh, I just try to do too much and then I get burnt out. Mostly it's the organizing of, because uh, as you can imagine, I get uh, a lot of junk. Yeah. It just, keeps, just keeps piling up. Where do, you, where do you store all this stuff? I have a garage now that I rent, which is kind of like my blog office. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I I fill that with junk. I have a little storage shed that one of my blog readers lets me use. So you picked up a a shed from your blog? Yep. One of my uh, local fans, which I'm very thankful for. (laughs) Um, And I store stuff in my house too, but I try not to... uh, I don't really want to live amongst my crap. So (sighs) my basement is kind of full, but my room is fine. (laughs) And like when you you're collecting all this stuff like how long are you holding on to some of this stuff for is it like you have things for years or if it's like a few months you're like get it out of here throw it on auction i've sat i've sat on a few things for years it annoys me but (laughs) sometimes uh i find the best way of figuring out a price is just to price it too high and then slowly lower it until (laughs) someone buys it and i'm like okay that's what that was worth (laughs) is there an item that you've been holding on to for like what's an item you've been holding on to for like years uh well i just sold one actually i had this uh art deco era mail order catalog from the uh, asprey company which is a very fancy uh, luxury goods retailer in london and yeah, I had that on there for like three years, I think. And how much did you sell yours for? Yeah, I just kept lowering the price and then I sold mine for 400 bucks. That's pretty good though. It's, so it didn't take it up really, too much space. No, no, that's the thing. Like most of my eBay stuff, like if it's a bigger thing, then I'm a bit more motivated to sell it when it's a big thing. But if it's something I can put in a drawer and forget about, then uh, it's not the worst. Yard sale stuff, like uh, if it uh, doesn't sell within a few sales and I... I assume it should have stayed in the trash. <laughs> we so we have this thing in Boston where there's like there's so many universities here where yeah. once school gets out there's like all this free shit in like <laughs> yeah. all the different neighborhoods. Is there any kind of like big event or big time for you that's like a prime garbage hunting time? Oh, well we have the same thing in Montreal with the uh mcgill university there's a lot of uh international students there so after uh semester ends in uh like late april they pretty much all move at the same time and ditch all their crap on the curb which yeah is awesome <laughs> uh, a couple years ago i found a working macbook pro damn which wasn't even really that old i think it was i sold it to my friend for 600 bucks i found some like non a non-working macbook pro which is still good 
like a non-working MacBook Pro, I've, you can at least get 80 bucks for generally, unless it's totally trash. Yeah. Uh, someone threw out like a bag full of loonies and toonies and a few $5 bills. <laughs> so that's just like, oh, so you just sometimes find straight cash. Oh, yeah. Is that common? Well, it's pretty common that people throw out uh, maybe a, like a few bucks and change that was in their uh, junk drawer or something that they didn't want to deal with. Occasionally, I'll find, uh, very rarely, I'll find larger collections. Like one place in uh, Westmount a few years ago, someone, yeah. they were storing their change in that old cardboard uh, liquor container, which then ended up in a black garbage bag on the curb. And inside was $52 in change. Oh, nice. <laughs> Like, I like that there's, you're finding, like, straight cash and just gold and silver pretty regularly. Yeah, it's uh, surprising what people throw out. <laughs> I mean, some some of the times it's just, uh, you know, privilege that allows people. Like, if you live in a $5 million house or something, then $52 and change isn't that really big a deal to you. But uh, <laughs> And some people don't know the value of gold or silver or what gold or silver is. So it's kind of a mix of reasons as to why that happens, but. It is a semi-regular occurrence. So, like, on... Okay, so if there was if there was a spectrum, and, like, on one end of the spectrum is, like, I'm a hoarder, and I have, like, <laughs> thousands and thousands of things, you know, like, 55 couches in my house or something like that, and on the other end yeah. of the spectrum is, like, I'm a minimalist, and I just have a bed, and that's it. Like, where do you personally fall? Closer to minimalist, I think. There's not much that I'm really attached to. I think I have a few boxes of things that uh, that I really wouldn't want to get rid of. But beyond that, I'm pretty much open to anything. I used to be more, definitely more towards the hoarder. Did doing this as a job change that? Did it make? Has it made you more of a minimalist? Oh yeah, six years of finding stuff regularly, and eventually you, uh, yeah, you don't view it the same way. I try to keep it like semi-orderly that's why i say i'm more minimalist than uh, maximalist or whatever the opposite of minimalist is yeah i guess there's not a, i guess i guess it would be hoarder but another way you, a nicer way oh, would yeah. probably be maximalist <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm trying to live with the maximum number of items that i could fit in my house right now yeah well hoarder has like a negative connotation which is valid sometimes when you're hoarding uh, i don't know food or something but uh, <laughs> some people are like functional functional hoarders <laughs> or maximalists you just like a sometimes i watch american pickers and a lot of the people they uh, visit are just uh, they just have warehouse houses full of old crap <laughs> and they're and they're clearly like hoarders but they're they have a functional life so yeah <laughs> they're <What>? maximalists <laughs> speaking of hoarders like is that do you see yourself potentially going in that type of direction of like opening up a giant store or getting like a warehouse out in the country full <laughs> of stuff that you found or do you want to keep it like within this ebay type of world uh, i could see myself getting a store at some point maybe it requires a lot of more capital than i have and that's the nice thing about ebay is i don't really need to pay like for a rented storefront or anything like that and uh yeah, we'll see. I wouldn't. I'd never want to have like just a warehouse full of stuff. I don't think, because I just get over. I do get overwhelmed sometimes thinking about how much I do own, and I don't really want to own much more than that. I'm really looking forward to spring so I can unload some stuff at my garage. So you can have the big yard sales. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, clearing out some crap. <laughs> I mean, I say that in the most loving way possible. 
So one of the things that I'm wondering is like, what's the biggest thing that you've learned from looking through other people's garbage over the last, you know, six, seven years? Like I've basically forged myself a career here. Like even if I decide to stop garbage picking, like I've learned enough about antiques, collectibles and all that, that I could uh, probably get a job in some sort of antique realm. Like I could probably start an estate sale company or something like that, or I can start a career in, in some kind of area related to uh, antiques, collectibles, junk in general. Philosophically, I think I've just learned to appreciate more aspects of life that maybe I was closed off to before. Like what? A good example might be, say, perfume. Like growing up, like I wasn't really... I didn't really have, like, no one in my family wore perfume. I didn't know anything about perfume. Then I started garbage picking. And eventually I find out perfume is worth a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Perfumes <laughs> can be very expensive. Yeah. I didn't realize people paid like $100 or more for bottles of perfume. But, anyways, by doing my research and all that, I kind of learned to appreciate the art of perfume, how it's kind of like a, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into perfume and, why people appreciate it. I can't tell Chanel number no. five from uh, <laughs> from Britney Spears Toxic or whatever. You might get the pharmacy. Actually, I probably could tell that. But, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of things I've grown to appreciate because I've spent a lot of time figuring out why people <laughs> pay a lot of money for them. Yeah, it's funny. It's like, you know, you're a very like down to earth guy and like keeping everything like pretty, like living within your means and keeping things pretty minimal. But it seems like through this process, you've learned a lot about like luxury and about all of these kind of like what makes people pay a lot for this stuff that they then might throw away. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Or just like passion. Like it's interesting. People are some people are just really passionate about perfumes. Like a lot of information I get are from perfume forums where people talk about the uh, scents, the oak moss or the whatever how it makes them feel and i don't really get it but i <laughs> but i think it's just that some people's noses are uh, operate on a different level than what mine does yeah and the same I, goes with like it's like nerd like there's just so many different types of nerds and i love that like <laughs> you can find a nerdy calculator forums like where people talk about vintage calculators or pen forums where people talk about all the different types of pens or watches or so yeah, there's just so much stuff for people to nerd out over and it's kind of <laughs> fun to learn about why. Yeah, I like that part about it. Like through all this research, you found out that everything that exists, pretty much people are nerding out. There's a teacup forum somewhere out there. There's, yeah. you know, like whatever it is, there's a forum for it. And people are nerding out about it. Yeah, and you got to find, uh, you just got to find out what people are nerding out about, <laughs> which is mostly everything and uh and they, you see if they're excited by your junk, which is sometimes, <laughs> sometimes not. But. Well, uh, I think this has been so much fun to talk to you. Um, it's been really good to talk about all this stuff around like garbage and what you do and how you've made this sort of like really, really interesting career for yourself. Uh, and I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. Martin is a pretty cool dude. You really got to check out his blog, Things I Find in the Garbage. It's, It's amazing. It's surprising. It's bizarre. And it's oddly addictive. 
Now, you and I both know Weird Work is the best show in the entire world. If you haven't, do us a favor and subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you're getting your podcast. If you are subscribed, tell a friend about it and hover over their shoulder menacingly until they subscribe. If you've done that, oops, you're my new best friend. All right, enough shameless plugs. Thanks for listening, you gorgeous dancing balls of light. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.